The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Next week, open house. Folks, open house is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for our friends to hear the good news of Jesus. It's a wonderful opportunity. And uh, we know what the service is going to be like because we've had it many times. Easy worship, a guest speaker who's going to be giving a presentation about Jesus and some testimony from his own life. And he will be praying for people. He's a young man who's got a lovely spirit about him. And we want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We've heard it. Most people here have heard that. What we need to bring into this house is people that have never heard that message. Because this message is a message of transforming power for the lives of people who hear it and receive it. So let's just be encouraged. Remember, you know, there's going to be moments this week where you're going to have somebody with you and you think like, that thought is suddenly going to go through your mind. You could invite them. Let the Holy Spirit lead us. And then those opportunities arise. Let's just make those invitations. If people say no, that's absolutely fine. But you know what? If they say yes... Praise the Lord. It gives them an opportunity to hear about Jesus. So let's go for that. Here we are, week four. Week four, I think it's week four. God's training ground, lessons from the life of David. And we've been looking at these lessons over the last few weeks, trying to learn things from David's life. I tell you, when I was sitting down with Johnny and we were working out this series and we were talking about it, I, I, at one moment I thought, oh my goodness, I've got to get four sermons out of this. I had sort of one idea, which was sermon one. And I thought, well, we can always preach about Goliath, that's Sermon 2. What about the others? And now, we could be going on for a number of weeks, because there's not enough time for us to cover all the things that David did. But that's the way it goes, isn't it? So today we're going to look at one other aspect of David's life, and I've entitled this morning, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, because we want to see God's amazing grace being displayed before us. And we're going to do that by looking at the story of David and Bathsheba. Now, that's a fairly familiar story, and we're going to go through it in three parts. Firstly, the story unfolds. Secondly, the story uncovered. And thirdly, the story examined. So for the first two parts, there's going to be quite a bit of Bible reading that comes up on the screen. So I'll read it, you can follow it. So we actually know the story. Because one of the things that we can often say is, oh, you know the story about David and Bathsheba? And many of you may do, but some of you might think like, no. And that's absolutely fine, because there's no way that we should expect everybody to know about the Bible if you've not read it. And in any case, you're welcome into the church if you know the Bible or you don't know the Bible. The reason you're welcome in this place is because we want to introduce Jesus Christ to you. And we want you to know about the God who is alive and is helping us each and every day. And in the Bible, there is this story about King David And he meets this woman Bathsheba. So that's the story we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to start off with this point. The story unfolds. And this is when David, who is king of Israel, he's a king of Israel. In the last number of weeks when we've been talking about this, we looked at the fact that he was anointed king. 
And that was a difficult time for him because there was another king on the throne when he'd been said, you're going to be the king. And then we looked at the time when this little lad, because he was a young boy when he was anointed as king, fought a giant who was absolutely huge and overcame the giant because he believed in a great God who can do great things. We looked at how obedience, or Johnny talked about obedience, how the previous king Saul had tried to be obedient but really hadn't been obedient, and how David had a heart after God and was obedient, and the difference that it makes for our hearts to be obedient to the things of God. And last week we were looking at pressure. There was still a situation where the king, or the king Saul, was on the throne. David, who had been appointed, anointed as king, was still in the background. And you know, as time goes on, pressure builds in our lives. When's this going to happen? God's promised this, but I haven't seen it. Have you got pressure situations in your life? You're looking to God for him to answer you, but it seems like, well, I, I asked for that last week and nothing's happened. No, no, not last week. I asked for this last year and nothing's happened. There's that sense of pressure that builds up. And we can see how that pressure, and pressure comes to every one of us in different ways, in different forms, on different levels, but pressure can affect our lives. And sometimes, if we're not careful, pressure can take us away from God. Well, he doesn't seem to care. But I can tell you, God never gives up on us. And we saw last week how David got to a point where it felt like everything was against him, but then he came back to God. He strengthened himself in God. And when he revisited and rethought, and this is who God is, that brought him back to God, and God was able to help him. And that actually was a changing point. But here today, he has, David has now been made king over all Israel. Not only Judah, over all Israel. He is now in that place of king over the whole nation and has been ruling for some time and is living in Jerusalem. But let's start. This is where David sees Bathsheba. The story unfolds. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and we're going to read the first five verses. In the spring it starts off. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, Joab was the leader of the army, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, obviously, Bathsheba's not his wife. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sees her bathing. David calls her. David sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. Just a few notes that I want to point out to you from what we've all read already. We started off that reading, and it said this, at the time when kings go off to war. Uh, what was David doing in Jerusalem? Hello? You know, often... It says the devil finds things for idle hands to do, finds time for idle hands. David was in a place where he shouldn't have been. And often when we're in a place where we shouldn't be, things can come to us that shouldn't really be happening to us. 
David was in the wrong, he wasn't just in the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been at war with the rest of the guys. It was that time when they went out to war. It was that time when they went to conquer lands. There were some problems, political issues that needed to be sorted out. He should have been with his troops, but guess what? He wasn't. He was in the wrong place. And when we're in the wrong place, often we can find that we end up doing the wrong thing. Now, we don't know whether there was pressure on him politically at this time. We don't know what was going through his mind, but even if we recap back to last week, we know that pressures can cause us to do things that we don't necessarily normally do. They can cause us to try to go and find comfort where we shouldn't be finding comfort. What we know is that at the time when kings go off to war, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was in Jerusalem. As he was in Jerusalem, second point to note, he saw a woman bathing. Now, this is the truth. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the truth and then perhaps we'll look back a little bit about what happens. David was seeing things he shouldn't be looking at. When it comes to God, God loves the whole thing of sex and he's designed it to take place within a safe place. That is where there is a marriage relationship between a man and a woman and only in that relationship is God saying that's the right place, that's the safe place for sex to take place. And so God says, in that relationship, or, or rather, there are only two times when you should be looking at another person without their clothes on. That's you, and often that's rather frightening in the mirror, if you catch that. <laughs> My goodness. It's not always a pretty sight. That's what, but anyway, there's yourself, okay? You can look at yourself. And if you're married, you can look at your spouse. Nobody else. Why? Because, you see, looking at other people's naked bodies does something to our minds. It does something to our flesh. It stirs us up. It makes us think of the things that are only supposed to be contained within a special relationship. Now, you might think, okay, that's a very prudish view in this day and age. Listen, when we look at this day and age, and if we were able to talk about every person that has been involved in all sorts of sexual relationships, many of those people would say, I wish this hadn't have happened. But you see, people don't tell you the truth anymore. They just say, hey, it's a free country, you're a free person, do what you want, everybody else is doing it. You see, that's because we've lost the fact of God. We've let God go from our nation. We've let his teaching be released from us. We're saying that's old-fashioned, that's unnecessary. But there are consequences to that. The consequences to that is many broken hearts, many wounded spirits, many broken people, many broken families. It's a consequence of that. David saw a woman bathing. In truth, he should instantly have walked away saying, no, 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 that's not for me. That is exactly what any of us should do if we are found in that situation. Thirdly, this isn't really a comment from what we read, it's just a comment from general life. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Okay, let's just, let's just realise that and understand that in our hearts, we're always looking for the better thing. Oh, it's so much better. What the next door neighbours have got is so much better. Life is so much better. That family, I mean, you know, that, everything is right for them. It's so much better. They've got more money, they've got a better car, they've got this, they've got that, their children are more educated, they've got a better job. It's always better the other side of the fence. But guess what? God put you your side of the fence. And we need to accept that. Amen? Amen? We need to accept it. 
We start worrying about what others have got. When we worry about what others have got, we stop to remember what we have been given. God knows who you are, knows where you are, knows how much you've got in the bank, knows what your education is, and to a degree, he's not worried about all of those things. He's worried that you have a relationship with him that he can lead you in his ways. The grass is always greener. We've got to stop looking over the fence and concentrating on what's going on in our world. 1 Corinthians 6.18, just to give you a little bit of extra biblical teaching, it says this, flee from all sexual immorality. Just in case you thought, like, Jonathan, you're taking this story, I've heard it before, we know it's a bit naughty to look at naked women, so let's just get... No, no, no. The Bible says, flee from all sexual immorality. Flee. What is fleeing about? Fleeing isn't about all hanging around just have a little look, is it? That's not fleeing, okay? Fleeing is what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife came to him and said, you young man, I fancy you, I want you to come to bed with me. What did he do? He ran, he ran. He left his jacket in her hand because he ran so quickly. He fled because he was a man of God doing the things that God has said. God says flee. David wasn't fleeing. (laughs) He had his eyes full of what was going on. He wasn't fleeing. Guys, women, we flee from sexual immorality. The grass is greener. That husband is better than mine. That guy will make my life better. Guys, this woman has got, she talks to me, she listens to me. My, husband, my wife doesn't listen to me. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. God didn't give you that woman. God didn't give you that guy. He gave you Mr. Grumpy and Mrs. Irritable. <laughs> In love, he did it. In love. Probably because he wants to change you but he has the power to redeem and the power to save. Amen? Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul saying to Timothy, he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. So walking with God and being contented. Contented means you're not looking over the fence, you're keeping your eyes on this side. God, this is the boundaries you've given me but I'm living in a two-bedroom flat and I want to have a five-bedroom house. This is the boundaries you've given me. This is where I'm going to be. Godliness with contentment. That's what Paul said. He said to Timothy this, for godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man, you, woman of God, flee from all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's carry on with our story. David has seen Bathsheba. Let's carry on. David now sends for Bathsheba's husband. 
So David sent this word to Joab. Because you see, Uriah was part of the army. He was a mighty man, a mighty valiant man of God. Uh, not warrior, is what I mean. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent, to him, sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace. And a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to... to... How could I go to my house to... to... He's going to do it. Hang on a second. How could he go to his house to... Yes, because it's a slightly different version. Anyway, he went to his house and David told Uriah, you didn't go home. He asked him, haven't you come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel on all of those things. Okay, yeah, there it is. (laughs) Never mind, don't know. That's fine. Um, How did you go to my home? How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I should never do such a thing. That's a bit annoying, as far as David was concerned. David had made his wife pregnant. David was hoping that the guy called back from the army, once you're back from the army, you know, just enjoy yourself. Bit of wine, bit of food, a little bit of sleep, and then we're back to the army. Everything's looking good. But Uriah was a focused man, a disciplined man, a valiant man. And he had his, I can't do that. I'm with the rest of these men. We're fighting in a campaign. We're a part of God's army doing God's work. And I need to be in the zone. So he didn't go home. And he didn't sleep with his wife. And it caused a little bit of a problem. The following night, David gets Uriah drunk again. And he sends him home again. He feeds him. He gives him drink. He sends him home thinking like, right, now he's drunk. That's just sort of taken the edge off. It's going to be all right. And he finds out that Uriah goes and sleeps with his servants again because out in the open, because he's still thinking about the army. This is a problem for David. David needs to do something about it. So he sends Uriah back to the battle. 2 Samuel chapter 11, 14 and 15. If there's a problem, don't worry. I'll just carry on, yeah? It's up, it's up, here we go. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he put, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Hmm. Uriah is actually killed in battle. That is actually what happens. He gets sent to the fiercest part where the battle is, And guess what? That's a place where he's exposed. 
and where he is struck down and where he is killed. And so the news comes back to Jerusalem that Uriah has been killed in battle. And we read this. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So that's the story that we're talking about and uh, the story that we're listening to. Sam, have your Bible back. Thank you for that. The story unfolds, the story uncovered. Now, I don't know how many people actually had got an understanding of what had really happened. David knew. Maybe Joab knew something more because it was pretty strange that the king should be asking for one of his elite troops to be taken out. But David was the man to be obeyed. He was, after all, the king. And kings were very autocratic in those days. But what we also know is this. There is no such thing as a secret before God. What we think of as being secret, that is, when we have our secrets, we're talking about things that we know about and they are concealed from others. They become our secrets. But there's no such thing as a secret before God because before God, he sees everything. He knows everything. When we really contemplate that, what it does is it brings literally the fear of God upon us. Because we realize, oh my goodness, everything I see, everything I think about is known to him. There is no secrets before him. But we do have secrets before people around us, and we hold things from people around us. The Lord sent a prophet, Nathan. He spoke to Nathan, and he sent Nathan to speak to David. And when we go into the next chapter, 2 Samuel 12, we read a little bit more of the story. The story is now being uncovered, remember. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the poor man and prepared it. The traveller came to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Mm. Uh, the traveller came and he had taken, a, he had took the lamb that, and prepared a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb of the man. This, sorry, this is in the name of Jesus. We just come before you, Father, to ask for your mercy and to give us, Lord, the freedom that we need to be able to bring your word to the people. Father, we thank you that you delight in us and that your Holy Spirit is here to lead us and guide us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have reasons for us to be together this morning, and therefore we pray that the reasons in heaven shall come to pass here upon the earth. We ask, O oh God, that the things that are on your heart will be made manifest amongst us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me go look away from the screens. Let me come back. I'm just going to read this thing to us so we, we get the story. Nathan has come and he is explaining a story uh, of a man who had a little lamb. This is all that he had. He raised it with his children. It, it ate and drank with him. It was like a little daughter to him. 
Then he says, now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now, David doesn't know that Nathan knows anything. Nathan comes to him and God presumably has given him this story to tell. So he tells a story about how this poor guy's got one sheep. This rich guy's got many sheep. The rich guy has a traveller, a friend who comes, and he thinks, well, I need to give him some food. So instead of taking one of his sheep out of the many that he has, he takes the one sheep that the poor man had. That was his prize and joy. He took that. David is incensed, and rightly so. The injustice of this. This isn't fair. Why should this happen? He's got lots. And David pronounces what the law says. This guy needs to repay it four times over. Because that's what Moses and the law was being said. This is what was on God's heart. If anybody steals something and they're caught, then they need to repay not just what they stole, but they need to repay it four times over. They need to give in abundance to show that they had, to, to pay penance for what they'd done. So David was seeing the injustice. David was getting irate. David was declaring that the law needs to stand and that God needs to do his work. This is what is right in this situation. So David was getting cross about this. And then Nathan says this. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but this I will do in broad daylight before all Israel. Then, Nathan, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin." You are not going to die, but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. Now I was looking back at the Ten Commandments and just thinking, what sort of situation was David in? The Ten Commandments are that we should have no other gods before our God. Yet, you know, David had taken Bathsheba, he had taken self pleasure and self-satisfaction above doing what God wants. There is a form of idolatry in that. The second commandment is that we have no images or idols. 
And yet this image of this naked woman and the idol of pleasure with her was sought out by David. That's two out of two, I think, that he's broken. Don't misuse the name of God. Uh, of God. That was left intact. Keeping the Sabbath day holy. We don't think this was the Sabbath. It's not mentioned it was a Sabbath, so that's okay. Honouring your father and mother. That doesn't have a lot to do with it here, so that's okay. Don't commit murder. Ah, but Uriah was murdered. Don't commit adultery. Ah, but he did commit adultery with Bathsheba. Don't steal just about kept, but in effect he stole another man's wife. Don't give false witness, just about kept, but really he was telling lies and deceiving people. Don't covet, this was broken because he had taken something that didn't belong to him and he coveted that woman and brought it to her. At the very minimum, David had broken 50% of God's not 10, top 10 laws. The king of Israel had sinned mightily before God. Here's the man who's supposed to be leading an example for the people, living an example for the people and leading them in the ways of God. And he had got to this position. Let's get to our third point. The story has indeed been uncovered. The story examined. Now there's an interesting thing. First point I want to bring to you is the root cause. The story examined the root cause. And we have a scripture there. Why did you despise the word of the Lord, Nathan told David, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? We always want to find out what is the real reason that this happened. And I believe that this is the root cause. And it's the root cause for many of the problems that we ourselves have. We despise the word of the Lord. What does that mean to despise? In effect, what it's saying this is, God says this is how you're supposed to live. The God of all heaven and earth the one who has created all things, the one who knows all things, the Almighty One, He has said and He has given His word of instruction to us as the way to live. And to despise it is to say, like, that's nothing. To despise, or one of the aspects of, of despise is to disdain. It is to look down on. Is that all you can say? I'm not taking notice of that. That's the root cause of this problem is that we're not listening to what God says. David didn't listen to God. David didn't take hold of what God was saying. He showed contempt. And contempt is just like, it doesn't matter. We show contempt to all sorts of laws. I'm not going to obey that. Who says 70 mile an hour on the motorway? I'm going 90. That is showing contempt for the law. I know that many of some people have done that. Some. When they did it, they were showing contempt for the law. What they were saying is, it doesn't matter, everybody else is doing it, I'm not going to get caught, the police aren't really interested, and so we do it. Now, realistically, okay, that is contempt. It's showing a flagrant disregard for what has been put down as what is right and true. Now, that's just about driving the car. We would obviously think that driving the car, committing murder and committing adultery are slightly different. But nevertheless, the principle here is the same. God has said, this is how you are to behave. No murder, no adultery. But when we refuse to listen to what he has to say, we show contempt for his word. We despise his word. And Nathan said to David, you, why did you despise the word of the Lord? 
by doing what is evil in his eyes. Now, we could look at that word in our lives over many situations. Why do we despise what God says to us? You should love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we despise the word of the Lord? It's the root cause of many of our problems. But in this, the story examined, the root cause of this problem, I believe, was that there was the despising of the word of God, the dismissing of God's word, the avoiding, the disobedience towards God's word. Second point, there's personal responsibility. David did show personal responsibility. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now that's good news because at first, in the first part we read, David was keeping everything hidden. He was organizing things his way. He knew what had happened. Oh my goodness, he gets the message that Bathsheba's pregnant. That's a disaster because otherwise the whole thing could have just gone away. But it didn't go away. Sin often doesn't go away. Sin often hangs around us and gets worse. And it got worse for David. So when he had that news, he wanted to do something about that. So now he needs to deal with the husband. He brings the husband home. Hopefully he's going to sleep with his wife. She gets pregnant. The baby's his. It's like a soap opera, isn't it? But that doesn't work. So now something else has got to happen. The next thing we know that her husband is being murdered. And it's all hidden. But when it comes out into the light and Nathan is talking to him, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. He takes personal responsibility. And we can read of his heart and how he went about his prayers at this time in Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51 verse 4 it says this, David is praying to God and he says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Listen, it's only when we accept personal responsibility that we are wrong that we can actually uh, receive forgiveness. It's only when we take responsibility. I did it. Unless you can say, I did it, unless you can own the sin that you've done, you're not going to be able to be forgiven for it. David, at least, this is the good thing about him. I've done it. I admit that I have done those things. When we admit that we have sinned, the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What he's saying is, if we've got to come to that point where we say, yes, that was me. You know like children, when you ask them, did you do that? No, no, it's them. It's them. Until they get to the point of saying, yes, I did it. You can't forgive them because there's no ownership. Are you owning up before God to the things that you've done wrong in your own life? Or are you continually blaming it on your parents or your wife or your husband or your children or your work colleagues or whatever? Are you trying to, well, it was this, it was the pressures. It was, listen, own up to your own sin. Because until you do so, you can't be forgiven. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We need to accept personal responsibility. Thirdly, amazing grace. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So he had taken personal responsibility for his sin. Nathan replied, 
the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Now, we're just going to say, great, isn't that good news? Let's just remember the time that we are in Scripture. We're in the Old Testament. We're in the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the time where it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You do wrong, you're going to get repaid for it. David himself, when he heard the story from Nathan about the sheep, what was he? He was crying out for God's law and God's justice to be brought into the situation. The guy needs to be told off. The guy must repay four times over. He is after that. He wants justice. And if justice is to be done according to the law of God, then let's just read what the law says. If a man commits adultery with a mother man's wife, with the wife of his neighbour, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. That's the law of the time. That's what David is being judged with. And in Exodus 21.14 it says this, But if a man schemes and kills another man deliberately, take him away from my altar and put him to death. At this time, Jesus hasn't come. We're not pleading all the grace of the New Testament. We're not claiming hold of what Jesus has done for us. We're in the Old Testament. We're looking at the law. But this is where you know that David was a man after God's own heart and he knew God. And he had relationship with God. And God showed him amazing grace because God went above the law. And he said, your sins have been forgiven. You are not going to die. That is not what should have happened. That is amazing grace. That is forgiveness that David did not deserve. And when we talk about what Jesus has done, of what we can receive, have any of us ever done anything wrong? Yes, we have. Do we want to admit to some of those things? Are some of those things on the scale of what we would say, that's bad? That's unfortunate. That was adultery. That was hatred, which is like murder. Those are the things that we have done. Have we admitted to those things? Have we stood up before God? Have we confessed our sin? Have we been able to find forgiveness? Have we been able to come under his amazing grace? You do realize David should not have been forgiven, but he received complete forgiveness. We, when we sin, don't deserve to be forgiven. But God, in his mercy, pours out amazing grace. Supposing you have committed adultery in your life. Maybe it was years ago. Oh, I know. It's, but you know what? Inside you feel good. I should never. I can't be forgiven for that. I know I did wrong. I live with it every day. Listen, the grace of God is this, that you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be cleansed from your unrighteousness. I was speaking to somebody even just last week and they were talking about some things in their own life. They obviously had done some things that were wrong. They didn't tell me what. That's fine. But obviously to them, they knew that this was quite serious and it was quite bad. But they said that the lifestyle that they had and the difficulties they had in life, that's, well, that's just because of that. I've got to accept my lot. 
They didn't understand the grace of God that can come to us. God doesn't want us just to rot. He wants to bring us into life. He wants us to know that we can be forgiven. David had done wrong. He was captured. It was all there out in the open. God had brought it out into the open. But God said, or Nathan said to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. And you are not going to die. He received amazing grace. My last point though, just because this story tells us about this and we do need to look at it, is that sin does have consequences. And there are consequences, and there's two particular things. There's spiritual consequences and there's physical consequences. At 2 Samuel 12, 14, but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. In this situation, this baby that was uh, inside Bathsheba and was born to Bathsheba, that baby actually died. Now when the baby came, David spent day after day on his face praying that God would actually cause the baby to live. But the baby didn't, the baby died. And when the baby died, all the servants around David thought, if we tell him the news, the baby's dead, he's going to be really upset. But David didn't, he just got up, washed his face and he said, the Lord has taken, let's get on with life. He stood in the gap of what he tried and tried to save the baby, but he couldn't. There are consequences to sin. God forgives, but there are consequences. When there is adultery, there's often broken relationship that comes with it. There's a breakdown in trust. And those things are difficult to actually come back from. Relationships can be affected, trust can be eroded, peace can be removed out of a relationship or a situation because of the sins that we walk in. There are consequences. And it is only by God's grace given to us that we can freely give that grace and love out to others that trust can be rebuilt, that forgiveness can be found in relationships and that peace can come. So there are consequences, there are physical consequences, but I think more than that, there are spiritual consequences. What we're seeing here is, because you have done this, because you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, when we sin and we deny God and we say God doesn't matter, there's something happening in the spiritual realm. Because there's good and there's evil. And if we're denying good... What we're doing is, in effect, we're strengthening evil. We're saying, actually, the enemies of God is the side that I'm on. We don't think of this. I don't think sometimes when I'm about to say something that is obviously sinful or wrong, I might think about it after the event, but beforehand I'm not thinking, like, now what effect is this going to have on the spiritual realm? How is this going to affect my life? I should do. We should all do. The fear of the Lord, it says, keeps us from sinning. You see, that's when we start to think, my goodness, I don't want to disrupt my relationship with God. I don't want to give authority to the powers of darkness that they may do nasty things. I don't want to experience physical outworkings of my sin. And for David, if we go on to read the story, he had problems in his family. His son rose up against him, tried to take the throne from him. There was all sorts of issues. God delivered David through it but he had to walk because of the consequences. Folks, there are some consequences of our sin. There's even consequences of the sins that others have done to us that we have to bear. 
But in these circumstances, we have to turn our eyes to Jesus, who is able to help us, because he is the only one who can help us. For us, we need to consider, how, is it, uh, how are we living today? Are we living secret, sinful lives? Have we allowed the enemy to take us to that place? If we have, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come to bring conviction. Not that you might be, feel wretched, but, but you, that the Holy Spirit would bring all of us to that place of taking personal responsibility. You know what? It's not just their fault, whether it's in the office or home or whatever. You need to take personal responsibility. I need to take personal responsibility. When they say something wrong towards you and your attitude was angry, but they did the wrong, it still affects the way we behave and we need to learn to respond with love and grace and mercy. There's things that we have to learn. We have to accept personal responsibility for what we do. We have to face up to what's going on. We have to repent, but we can find forgiveness in him. I don't know everyone here this morning. I don't know all your stories. I don't know everything that's been going on in your life. I don't know the things that you've walked in in the past, the things that have affected you. But I know this. If you confess your sin, Jesus wants to forgive you your sin, whatever it is. Now, as I was thinking about this this week, this whole Hollywood issue, the whole sexual thing that's coming up in Parliament, it's all over the press. We all know these stories. Everybody's getting very moral, which is right. But you know what we're talking about this morning? This guy, Harvey, the film producer, he shouldn't be let off. He's done wrong. He hasn't admitted everything yet. He's still denying many things, but we know he's wrong, right? Listen, the grace of God is that if he confesses his sin, if he owns his sin, he can find forgiveness for his sin. But he has a responsibility to live God's way, to accept all of the consequences that have happened because of the way he has lived his life, of which there are many. But God can forgive sin, God can heal a person, and God can transform a person so they may live his ways. Now, what, you know what? That's a useful example to think about because you think, like, hang on a second. What a, and we're crying for justice and everything like that. But it helps us to see how amazing is the love and grace of God that if we surrender our lives to him, he can turn broken, empty, filthy lives around. That is God's amazing grace. And that grace is available to every person here, no matter what you have done. He wants to open his arms to you and to welcome you in so that you can be part of his family. Praise God.